0: Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourceFind Asia, host of the Made in China podcast, and the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel. Coming to you live from, I want to say, I wanted to say sunny Manila, but it's usually very sunny. It's been overcast. Um still in the Philippines. I decided to extend my stay here. It's been. Uh, Pretty good trip, very productive. I'll probably have to do a specific podcast with Mike and Luke about that. So in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Gerard Nieuenhuis. Um, He's a Dutch entrepreneur running a completely remote business. Like Gerard is, I met Gerard through the InterChina community um, at the time when I was part of the you know partner team. Uh, He joined the community. Um, Obviously, he wanted to sort of expand his network. Uh, I think he was familiar with Michael Michelini prior to that. So I think that's how I kind of got roped into it. And he also became like a part of some of the masterminds that we did. And he made a presentation. The first time I really got to know Gerard was we met at the Cross Border Summit. Like we met before, briefly, for I think one of the EC events or something like that. But like we met at the Cross Border Summit and actually had a chance to like sit down and listen to his presentation where he talked about pretty much the same stuff he's talked about in this podcast, but he talked about his life and business and all the steps he took uh, to get to where he is and just the sort of hacking that he did, all the funny, you know, uh, internet marketing tricks that he using YouTube to make his products go viral back when nobody was really thinking about it. And like, it was just very fascinating, very funny. Um, obviously, Gerard's a very intelligent guy. And the funny thing was that presentation was, as he put it, he, he pretty much made that presentation a day before he presented. But yeah, so I really like Gerard. And, you know, he's, he's one of the guys where at the time I was, I was really just in hustle mode. I was grinding. Um, and he is like a fun guy. He wanted to go out and have a good time and stuff like that. And I was kind of like head down. Um, but he's gotten since that time period, obviously he's got the remote team is he's making good money. And he's been able to travel around the world and spend a month in, you know, Vietnam and Bali and all these different places while running his business completely remotely. And the unique thing is it's not just that he's remote, all of his employees are remote. So one of the, selfishly, one of the things I wanted to talk to him about on this podcast is how he structured that where it's like you have, they don't have a physical office, right? Um, They used to, but it's unnecessary. So like every, he's got employees, mostly in Europe because of time zone purposes. But I remember he had, at some stage, an employee in, in like Brazil, um, and everybody can be wherever you want to be, but you still have to be consistent with, you know, execution on on work hours and and tasks and things like that. So, I think this is a fantastic episode for any entrepreneur who is basically trying to manage a team remotely. Um, also, just giving a different perspective in terms of how you structure that. Uh, I think a lot of times we want to take advantage of sort of the lower labor costs in certain countries and i think that's okay initially but i think if you're really trying to get people invested into your business and uh long-term employees um at some stage you know the benefits have to sort of match around the company you know all right so without further ado enjoy the podcast
1: i don't want to be a product of my environment i want my environment to be a product of me
0: (laughs) It's been, it's been a while since I've seen you in China. <laughs> so yeah, I mean,
1: things, things are good. i to say I'm, I'm running my company these days, fully location independent. Um, uh, most of the time like living half of the year in Amsterdam, Netherlands, other half of the year, mainly in winter, somewhere in Asia. <clears throat> this year, uh, this winter, I was in uh, Bali for a while. Taiwan and Copenhagen and well, actually um, uh, Bangkok and Chiang Mai as well mm-hmm. and this October I'm going to start let's say the, the nomad season with um, uh, DCBK in uh, Bangkok and from there I haven't set plans but thinking of um, doing uh, staying in Bangkok or perhaps going to Chiang Mai for a bit
0: nice and this is still <laughs> This is still trend, with Trendlabs? Yeah, so um, Trend
1: Labs, that's still with, with Trend Labs. Um, I recently started a new brand as well. It's called Air Unleashed. Uh, under the Air Unleashed brand, we sell um, a three in one um, wireless charger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's specifically targeted for Apple users. So you can charge your iPhone. Apple Watch and AirPods at the same same time. Wow. Um, <clears throat> while we still do Trend labs, our focus is more and more shifting towards offering supply chain services. So we work with uh, retailers, distributors, um, subscription companies in the U.S. and offer them our services.
0: So I remember you joined you joined EC right like while it was off of one of our webinars or like i think that was the time when luke mccalini and myself were running ec yeah exactly that's been a while yeah it's been a while yeah so i mean that's how we first met but i remember like the first time uh i was like oh gerard is an interesting guy like when you did the presentation at the the cross-border summit and it was it was really funny and a very interesting presentation one of the things i remember specifically is you started off selling on ebay
1: yeah. Oh well. That's that's a long time. Yeah. Of course. That that I let me think. That was a presentation during the Global from Asia conference. Yeah, the cross border. I summit. think it kind of. It was more like a historical what I've been doing.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. It goes back to 20, 2009. Already in two thousand nine, I started my first online e-commerce shop, and I was before I was kind of importing. Uh, mainly phone accessories from china so i bought let's say 50 charging cable mm-hmm. for a specific phone back in those days you know each phone had their own proprietary charging cable you know nowadays all it's all standardized in micro usb or usbc um so yeah i, I bought like 50 cables at a dollar a unit and i resold them on a local craigslist for seven maybe ten dollar and yeah, you know, taking five, ten orders a day and it was, you know, making some nice side money while I was in, in university. So eventually I was, you know, I was thinking, hey, I've always been fascinated about automating and processes and I kind of got, I would say, tired, of, you know, taking orders manually, printing labels, you know, preparing all the packages and things. So, back in those days, I had like a supplier in China that said, hey, but I can send your orders to your customers directly from China. And I was like, yeah, but you know, back in those days, you only had like China posts. It took like three, four weeks to arrive. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, nobody wanna, nobody wants to wait three, four weeks for a charging cable for their phone. <laughs> if they, yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> so... I was thinking, I got to think about... But I found the idea really interesting because, you know, that would, would you know, it would, I could automate that to the max. So I was thinking I should find a product that people are willing to wait for a few few weeks and um, that I can also, you know, build an more. So Because that was my wish to, you know, have like a real online story, you know, because... Said, placing those ads on the Craigslist, all takes a lot of time. So, but also already back in those days, you had a lot of shops with phone accessories already. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I stumbled upon um, he was the seller in China was kind of specializing in all kind of phone accessories, and he was also selling phone dummies. Phone dummies are like you know dummies of phones that you see in phone stores. <laughs> so they have like the shape <laughs> of the actual phone, but there are no electronics I rem- inside. I remember the story. So it was like, hey. <laughs> yeah, so, I, and that was just during the days that the iPhone got really popular. The iPhone 3G was just um, announced. And, I mean, they were also selling, like, iPhone damage. I, I was like, hmm, what if I make, like, kind of, I mean, nowadays you would call it the landing page. Back in those days, I had no clue what a landing page was. But, you know, I just made some WordPress thing with an e-commerce plugin and registered the domain iPhone dummy. And I said, hey, you can buy here an iPhone dummy for $20, including free shipping. Well, it takes three, four weeks to arrive. But, um, yeah, and together with that, <coughs> I made up the um, story that if you buy one and you make like um, a prank with it. So let's say someone has his iPhone on the table um, you replace it with a dummy and you know you trash the dummy you throw it away or something like that and you film or take a picture of your friend freaking out yeah so the dude so you, you send
0: me, you switch the phones out and then just toss his phone against the wall <laughs> like
1: <laughs> yeah for example and that you know it was in 2029 20, there was before like youtubers there was before prankers pranks and all those things yep. and so i made that website and i was like hmm okay i mean I liked the idea. A lot of, I mean, my friends and family said, what, you know, what, what are you doing? Go Get back to work, you know, <laughs> go back to your study. <laughs> but I believed in the idea, and I was like, you what, know… What, what,
0: what, what were you studying at the time? I, I'm,
1: I, was, I, was, um, I, I studied electrical engineering before, but I already felt that I, you know, w- wouldn't spend the rest of my life… T- engineering PCBs or coding. Mm-hmm. So, I ended up doing a masters in business administration, but it was more kind of to, you know, fill up time because I, I, I didn't want to start working yet. Yeah. And during that master, I actually realized that I, you know, was already I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur, I would say. I never chose <laughs> really to to be an entrepreneur. I always had like side hustles and eventually I was like, hmm I can just turn this into like a full time full time thing yeah. so yeah, I, I had that website, and then, of course you know you have a site, but you have no traffic, nobody buys anything i I didn't think much about that, and I was like, hmm so i was, I mean I've always been interested in gadgets and things like that, so I had a few of my favorite blogs that you know wrote about gadgets, and I was like. What if I just tell them that I made his website and maybe they want to write about it? Maybe they like the idea as well. So I did that like 11 p.m. in the evening. I wrote to, to Gizmodo, um, Mashable, a few more. It like it was like it was not a press anything. I just said, Hey, I'm Gerard. I made this website. I believe it's a funny thing. Maybe you can write about it. Cheers. So. That's what I did and uh, I went to sleep and the next morning I woke up uh, with more than thousands of orders. The website was down, my PayPal account was blocked. And <laughs>
0: your, well, your PayPal I was account was blocked because drug. what they just they just thought something shady was happening. Yeah, or? I
1: mean of course it's PayPal, you know, it's suddenly you have thousands of orders and they're like, "Oh, this is this, you know, we want to find out what's going on here." Mm. So it's like they the, the know your customer Things kick in. Mm. You need to. I mean, I, I opened a PayPal account, but they. I didn't do the whole verification and everything. So yeah, I was like, okay. So it went totally viral. Eva, eventually, it even ended up on uh, on the website of Time Magazine. And well, um, it took us a while to fulfill all the orders because I had a dropshipping supplier who had just like ten units in <laughs> stock or something. And it took a, a bit for manufacturing. Of course, I had a lot of refunds, There's still a lot of people that wanted to buy the item. But that's, that was the moment where I realized, okay, with the right marketing angle, I can sell anything on the internet. How
0: old were you at the time? Um, I was 21. So you realized at the moment, okay, I, this, I, there might be something here, and then you're, you know, studying business. So then what, what did you do after that, what were your next steps?
1: Well, after that, I was like, you know, like I said, I can sell anything on the Internet. So I started, I repeat the, the same thing for the iPhone 4. I repeat the same thing for the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually got into wall seals, selling dummies because, you know, some, I worked with case manufacturers that said, hey, we want those dummies in all our cases and all our phone cases. So we did some wall still there. Um, I started more sites, uh, all like niche sites. Some were based on like viral, thing like this. Some were also, you know, just uh, like same like the that the word is in the, the the domain, so it was easy to rank them back in those days on Google with some with some links. <clears throat> so I was selling lens mugs, so like lenses in the shape like marks in the shape of like a dsl r lens Mm -hmm. Um, then the iphone 4 came and you had to cut your sim to a micro sim dimensions and i was one of the first movers to to make a kind of a stapler that cuts your sim to the micro sim dimensions Uh, we've been selling pillows in the shape of iphones uh, socks to protect your ipad and iphone and yeah, probably I'm forgetting a few. Yeah, actually, a device that turns your iPod Touch into an iPhone, so it's like more like a four-man's iPhone. <laughs> so I did that a few years next to my next to my studies, and eventually delayed the studies and was about to drop out. But Then was like, you know, I'm, I've almost finished it. It would be a bit of a waste of time not to finish it. So I kind of put the business a little bit on a lower on a back burner, <coughs> finished my, um, my studies. And from there, actually, I've never, until that point, I've never been to China. And then after my stage I was like, let's go to China, let's talk with that actual drop shipping supplier, which became, you know, we were slowly shifting towards more like own, our own, own inventory to talk with him, you know, just to see him, because we were already doing a lot of business for years there
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, I went to China and I talked and, and saw there from there I saw a lot of opportunity in supplying the daily deal industry like companies like Groupon Living Social were coming up and while there were a lot of traditional the, the kind of the, the problem there was that those companies are really great at marketing and you know selling but Getting products to their customers was a whole different story, you know. Because they, they, what they wanted companies to do is reserve a certain amount of inventory um, and then buy the inventory when the deal is over, and then preferably ship it directly to their customers. And that's something if you ask that a traditional distributor or wholesaler to do, they're like, "Yeah, that's not how it works." You know, if you want to buy next amount of a product, you just send us a purchase order and we send it, you know, <laughs> we send it somewhere where you want to have it and then you do the distribution to your own customers. Mm-hmm. So we made a kind of a, um, like a kind of turnkey solution where we would offer those deal sites products, uh, even did a bit of copywriting, make nice pictures, and at the same time, um, so we would work with longer lead times because we were shipping directly from China, but we would actually only start the manufacturing after the deal was over. So um, that, was an, that was quite a big success, although lead times would sometimes go up to two months. But, I mean, people were really willing to wait back in those days that long to get a great deal on a product. Mm-hmm. So that was still, that was again, you know, direct shipping from from China, which I discovered back in 2009 as like such a great thing, you know, because it cuts out so much hassle. No need to air freight it to some expensive 3PL for the U.S. Um, just send your orders, you know, almost. It's like, it's almost you send your orders directly to the factory and they, they ship it to you. You save a lot. Of course, it's like suitable for small products. Not if you're going to ship like fridges or something like that. But for anything that's let's say under one one kilogram and not and, and as long as you're not shipping air, it's it's, it's over the past ten years it only got cheaper and
0: and better. Yeah. So you, I mean, you basically discovered drop shipping before drop shipping was a thing.
1: I think so. Well, actually, back in those days, 2009, dropshipping was already there. I mean, and, but it's probably, (laughs) probably there were not a lot, there were no scammy courses about it. (laughs) Um, But dropshipping has been around for, I would almost say forever, you know, even. Back in the days when you had meal orders, meal some meal order companies that you you know had to you had a book and that you had to fill in what you want to buy, that was drop shipping as well. And sometimes you, you see like discussions erupting and people saying, "Oh, is drop shipping dead or not?" No, it's it's not dead and it's never going to die. It is just changing, you know. Yeah. Back like in those days, people were drop shipping from Dual Extreme and those you know free shipping from China sites. Nowadays. It's a lot of AliExpress. Um, but I actually see some people there, like in traditional e commerce for more than 10 years, and they are moving to drop shipping because it just does not make sense to have their own warehouse anymore, and their suppliers are offering to, to send their, their orders directly to their customers. So,
0: yeah, and like no. like you said, it, it makes sense for a certain size of product. And obviously, now, I mean, shipping. As China becomes more efficient, as the you know manufacturers figure out that side of their business and want to make money in different ways, then they can start to yeah. offer those kind of services, right? Just uh, going back to the, the previous discussion about the iPhone dummies and stuff. Didn't you get like a cease and desist letter or something from from one of, yeah, one of these companies? Yeah,
1: obviously. After a while, <laughs> you know. And actually, I was surprised how long it, it took because too, I was like, okay, this is going big and. Yeah, so I got a cease and letter from Apple eventually and I had to shut the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. But that was only after the second round. So we first did a round with the iPhone 3G and kind of silently started selling iPhone 4 dummies as well. But then we started iPad dummy. And then it, it got, I think, like the media attention there got even bigger because we made like a story, hey. Because right. uh, the iPad was a bit of a controversial I mean, controversial products, you know, some people were like, oh, this is great. Some were like, what's the, oh, what's the like crap. Who's going to use a tablet, you yeah, know, you have be, a phone or a computer?
0: Yeah, to be honest, I still so we were like, I still don't, like, I mean, we, it's cool, but I still don't see too much of the value in having an iPad. I'd rather work on my phone or work on my laptop. I have an iPad. I mean,
1: I agree. I, I don't use tablets as well, but a good friend of mine, he uses, it's like it's kind of second Screen or like to, to make like annotate and to do all kinds of things. So I see, I see the I see, the, as as, and I I see, see my, the value. My parents,
0: they use I see, a lot. yeah, no, okay. That's one thing I noticed is like for my dad uh, and my mom, um, I, I he was like, he doesn't need a laptop anymore. He's just like, get me an iPad. So I, I, yeah. I got him an iPad from, from China and he's pretty happy with it because it's like, yeah, he'd rather send. WhatsApp messages and, you know, iMessages and stuff on his iPad, then he then used his phone. So, like, he's almost like replaced yeah. his phone in some way and then also replaced his laptop with an iPad. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so, we were
1: kind of mocking it as well and saying, hey, you know, no matter what you think about the iPad or what, for 50 bucks, you can buy an iPad dummy and be cool or just use it as a serving tray. And, that resonated pretty well with the you know with the, with the Gizmodo and Mashable audience and there there we go again
0: and then apples like okay now you've gone too far <laughs> got, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: well or maybe they even didn't notice the first round or something and yeah. now they're like yeah this is this is too much not too much okay
0: so uh, i mean you said you kind of like fell into entrepreneurship but you must have like what made you think of hey maybe see if i could sell some products on ebay or whatever like what was you know was it a friend of yours that told you about it or were you just like following business blogs and just decided one day to try it No, on?
1: it was actually it's well going even more back I think already when I was let's say 14 or 16 I was buying second-hand computers and fixing them and reselling them on, on Craigslist so I've always been fascinated about trade and, you know, electronics. And I was just combining. It's like just two hobbies, combining it. And eventually, you got, like, uh, smartphones. I was one of the first with, like, the Windows. And there's you had, had like, HTC, they were making, like, Windows. You had, like, such a stylus, and it was just running Windows, and you it, it could even get, like, a blue screen of that. And then I found <laughs> out that for all those phones, you need, like, each phone had, like, their own cables for, for like, charging for headphones and all those things. And I was, I was looking in, in the Netherlands online, I was like 10 euro for a care, like damn, that's expensive. So I found out that on eBay, you could say, get like such a cable for one euro and get it shipped for free to the Netherlands. I was like, this sounds fishy, you know, but at the same time, so I did my research, I was like, you know, if I pay with PayPal, it seems to am pretty well protected, you know, I cannot be scammed. So I did it, and it arrived after three or four weeks I was like, "hmm that's interesting. You know what if I next time I buy ten cables, I can resell nine cables and keep one for myself, and I can make uh, 90, 90 euro so that's, that's how it started, and it's like just I think it's a little bit scra- scratching your own itch, and just seeing like a, a, an opportunity there
0: and This whole time, even when you started doing the pre-orders and stuff like that, you hadn't been to China, right? No. When was the first time you decided to come over to China?
1: 2014. Five years after I started doing this. More than five
0: years. And at that stage, what was was the reason you just felt like, okay, I should meet these suppliers that I've been working with for a while? no actually
1: i've never been i was never been to asia and um i was on a trip through asia i we went to thailand this on holiday and i was like oh since i'm around there let's have a look in in hong kong and actually i went to hong kong for you know just to visit as a tourist and i had no clue you know the difference between hong kong and china so i told my supplier i said hey i'm staying in this hotel in hong kong can you pick me up and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I had no clue. It was like two or three hour drive and across the border and everything and the difference between Hong Kong and China. And then I still remember I was there in in Shenzhen and we had no plan what to do. So he was like yes, because things were running smooth, you know, and he was like, So what do you want to see? It's like, oh yeah, you, can you show me around your, your warehouse, how you th- ship things? It's like, yeah, sure, sure. So we walked around, we saw how they, they pack the things, nothing like Is there anything else you want to see? It's like, oh, yeah, it would be cool to see a factory where they make charging cables. So we did a lot of charging cables. He was like, oh, okay, we can do that. So <laughs> we went in a car, went, we were driving for one hour, and I was like, I was like, yeah, where where are we going? He was like, yeah, the factory is on the other side of the city. It takes like two hours to drive there. It's like, you know, I'm used, I, I live in, in the Netherlands. So, you know, <laughs> going from even going from one side to the country to the other side of the country, is like less than two hours. So yeah, it was quite, quite an experience seeing like Shenzhen, such a big city um, where everything is being manufactured. So eventually we ended up at the cable manufacturer and yeah, they were like, oh wow, there's a customer from abroad, probably is going to buy a lot of things. And I was actually <laughs> just like more, more in tourist mode, just looking around. So I got the whole China treatment, you know, I had to bring tea and all those all those things. And you have pretty high expectations, which, well, I, I, I actually don't know where. I also didn't care so much where my supplier bought their things from. but. Yeah, that was my first China experience, and I was so amazed about it. And so I found it so cool, you know, to hang out with factory owners and <laughs> see see how they do, and see actually also see how things are being manufactured, you know, because that's just it's just difficult to find here. Um, you know, of course you can see some manufacturing, but not in such a such a way as you see in China.
0: So, I mean, what do you attribute... Because, I mean, a lot of people have the opposite stories, right? When they haven't been to China and they start off dealing with suppliers and there's a lot of difficulties. How... Do you, did you get lucky or do you think it's just the way you communicated with the suppliers and you were able to pick, like, good factories from the beginning?
1: Uh, well, actually, so so it was not so much that we worked directly with factories because we had, like, that that one... Supplier, which actually we started working off from eBay and eventually they um, became, and they had their, also their own, they were selling back in those days on eBay. They had their own e-commerce website. And still nowadays they're like a big, you know, such a big China seller. They sell on Wish, Amazon, AliExpress. But the same nowadays they also have their, um, more like a 3PL one part of their business, which we, we still use. But back in those days, they were just, they did everything, sourcing, quality control. But our products were pretty generic, you know, it's all like private label, or even not private label, just like the product, that's it. And it was not much complicated. So yeah, we never experienced much problems. I mean, the sole sort of problems that we had, you know, was like that we got like thousands of orders stuck in like the, during Chinese New Year shipping or like in December with Christmas that it took sometimes more than two months with China Post to get it delivered to customers. Those were the biggest issues, but yeah, of course, you know, sometimes communication issues, but nothing that I would say, hey, this is... and, And I never had the idea that going to China would, you know, change so much on that. And still nowadays of course i do agree that going to china definitely helps but it's more like it's all about relationships you know so they let's say you start working with a factory i definitely and if you have let's say you know you're making some kind of product which is odm or advanced um oem or something definitely go to the factory and especially if you're starting out with low quantities because you will create a lot of goodwill there but the same time, if you have to be on the ground for processes, I don't think that's, that's a good sign.
0: Um, so initially you're private labeling your own products, accessories, electronics, stuff like that, but you've also done, like you also wholesale to other clients, right? They private label through you, so I guess when did that start, like when did the business start to pick up in that way? Yeah,
1: so eventually we were like supplying daily deal companies and from there we started our own electronics brand, labs, and from there we got customers that were like, hey, we, we have our own brands. Uh, can you also manufacture it under our brand? And that's something we, we moved into from there.
0: And that was around. So it's kind of organic. It was a kind of an organic thing. So, what would you say was like yeah. the, the early success when you start? The early success, obviously, yeah, yeah. when you start getting those pre-orders and stuff like that, and then you start to create your team. When do? You, when would you say you really started to make like serious money from from the business?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, yes, sir. you know, already, you know, the days with the iPhone was, it was for me pretty serious money, but um things took really off when uh, with trendlabs we started uh, making drones so it was i think it's around 2014 or 15 that you had like you had like a few if you wanted to buy a drone you had two options you either bought like the dji phantom one or two which was like thousand dollars or you went to toys r us and bought the you know toy drone from a man you know from a brand that used to make RC helicopters, RC cars, and those things. But let's say for grown-ups that just wanted to start flying a drone, there was nothing. I mean, nothing that was like, maybe they, of course, they sometimes buy those toy drones, but they're, of course, not targeted to to sell to them. So what we started doing is like, private label, OEM, manufacturing of drones, and then specifically targeted to, let's say, an 18-plus audience. So that was huge, because there was like a really, really big audience that was very eager to fly a drone. didn't want to, you know, spend $1,000 on a device, that they would probably crash their first attempt to fly. And on the other side, they're also not going to, they're grown up, they're not going to Toys R Us to buy a drone for, $30. (laughs)
0: $30. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure some people did though.
1: <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, of course, some. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the marketing is not targeted to them. So, if you target them with the, the right marketing, the right branding, it's, it's the, you know, it's the perfect holiday gift, you know, for, the you know, the, 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 the metrosexual man that earns enough money that You know, it has everything already, and has no idea what to ask for its birthday.
0: So it seems like a running theme is like you've always had a natural instinct for marketing. Would you would you say that's that's correct?
1: Yeah, I think. Well, instinct. I think I connect dots. So from time to time, you see certain things happening, and you connect that with your knowledge of the market. You connect that with what is possible in China, or maybe what's already kind of being out uh, there, but not uh, being sold to a certain audience. So if let's say, you know, dummies of phones have been there always. Um, drones were there as well. But selling them to a specific target audience with a specific marketing story, that's kind what, what, of you know, what I keep repeat doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously the manufacturing side was smooth. There was a couple shipping issues and stuff like that. So then, what were some of the early struggles that you had or difficulties in business, and then what did you do to kind of overcome?
1: Oh well, we have you know we had um, we had issues with manufacturing sometimes. So for example, we had a batch of drones that. Um, They they had like a specific color, but it was spray-painted. And they said that it was spray-painted when it was like very humid. So um, the the coating, it came off after one or two months. But fortunately, again, we had our inventory still in China, because we were shipping diaries from China. So fixing it was as easy as sending the inventory back to the factory, which was in Tanzan as well. They fixed it and they sent it back. And uh, well obviously they they liked I mean obviously they liked our relationship but we were ordering a lot so there, there was no no difficulties getting it fixed at their cost. So and at the same time of course we have contracts and agreements in place with our factories in China. And, you know, it all says that, you know, all those things that we would legally do this, blah, 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 if they are late, and if they are defects, and all those things. But in the end, you actually never want to enforce those things. The relationship with your manufacturer is so much more important that you can just show them, hey, this happened with our inventory. We need to get it fixed. And then, and I've never had issues. I mean, yeah, this was like the, ma- the biggest issue I've ever seen manufacturing in China outside of that small issues but actually never had the need to enforce things legally in those actually yeah more than 10 years without doing business in China
0: yeah I mean honestly I think uh, if you have a good supplier you can always work things out um, even for us we haven't really had to enforce anything legally with the suppliers it's always been if something wasn't done correctly then we negotiated them fixing it or some sort of discount or you know, some, some, some sort of compensation but you know generally if you if you do the if you do set up a good relationship with them then you're not going to you're not going to have too many issues that you can yeah so then uh one thing else i found interesting as well is you have a remote team and uh, i think you kind of touched on that at the beginning of the podcast and i'm beginning to copy your business model a little bit. Like we have staff in northern China, staff in the Philippines, was working with a guy in Canada who's now with me now. Um, And so just talk to me about how you set that up and your philosophy behind having a fully remote team. Yeah, well, it is
1: for me, um, for me that was kind of a natural path to follow. So back in those early days, Ten years ago, I was already hiring freelancers all around the world to make logos. I started hiring a freelancer for logo design in India. The logo became very flashy, very, let's say, Indian. I was like, hmm, I need to be aware (laughs) of a cultural background when I hire someone from creative work. So I hired a freelancer, I think somewhere in Eastern Europe, for creative work um so yeah that's how i started my business eventually i ended up hiring people in an office in the netherlands and after a while i found myself with 10 people in an office and i was like hmm this is actually what i want to do and at the same time it was more and more difficult to find skilled affordable um people here because you know let's say for example customer service employee that had to speak fluently English I would already need to look at let's say an employed university grad and while let's say you can find perfectly customer service staff that speak fluent English for a lot less than let's say the Philippines so yeah eventually we it was more and more difficult to find good people so we started hiring more location-independent and ended up having five people in an office, five people location-independent. And from there, um, there it transitioned more and more into having a fully location-independent team. So, yeah, it, it was also a bit of a yeah, natural path to follow. And these days, I also don't have the need having an office and having people around me. For me, it's actually more productive because... It is, it's so funny that, like, s- s- specific questions, you know, if, you, if you're sitting next to each other, it's so easy to ask things, but if you have to write a text message or record a voice, message or even have to hop on a call, you, you think twice before asking things. So it is... We, we, we communicate asynchronously as well, and for, I, I, for us, there is only a lot of positive signs. Although I do say that meeting each other face-to-face from time to time is important and that's one of the reasons why we have in-person meetups one to two times a year Mm -hmm. and actually in a few weeks we're we're going to have the whole team together in Berlin for three days.
0: Do you generally have the in-person, I have a lot of questions around this, but do you generally have the in-person meetups in Europe or is it different places?
1: In its main Mainly in Europe, I gotta say that most of our staff wasn't is still um, European or lives in Europe. Um, actually, I never uh, hired people from uh, the Philippines or India because I do do the. Of course, staff in let's say Europe and Eastern Europe is more expensive, but the cultural differences are sometimes so big and makes it pretty difficult to, to work together and for me it works really well to have and at the same time the advantage of being more or less in the same time zone which is good as well for you know for meetings and since we have to deal with also with manufacturers in China and customers in the U.S. Europe is actually quite beautiful because well in the morning you talk with China and in the afternoon or Evening, you talk with the U.S.
0: You did have you did have a, some employees in South America though before it. Right?
1: True. Yeah, I had um, had an employee in Brazil, and that worked really well. That yeah, you know, I think the time difference is only four or five hours or something, and it was you know same time difference as, uh, as the U.S. So from there there were advantages there, and she actually did. She wasn't on the China side, so that was, yeah, it was actually an advantage of having her there.
0: So that makes a lot of sense. So you're, you're saying generally it's, it's just easier if you have people who are still somewhat relatable culturally and then also similar time zones, especially because you guys, like you said, you're dealing with China um, in the morning and then the, the States and Africa or evening. Um, I, I, I guess yeah. that's kind of similar to me, like I've hired people. In Southeast Asia, because we are in a similar time zone, um, and that works out as well. I think, I think from the creative standpoint, like I think there's a lot of talented people in in the Philippines as well, like from the creative standpoint. Oh sure. Then and then one other thing you have is like you kind of have a, in terms of benefits, like everybody has equal benefits, no matter what country they're in, right?
1: Yeah, so, so we, I truly believe so, when, when someone works at our company we, they are not freelancers or they are not like just contractors or something. I, I actually, I really like the, the, the system here in Holland, how, you know, automatically people have all kinds of benefits if they start working for a company. So we we just started mimicking them, so let's say if you would start for just a random company here. To Holland, you would get like desk, you would get a computer, and all those things. Well, if you start working with us, you get a starting budget. You know, I'm not going to to send 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 a laptop to, to Brazil or something. But you give them a budget. I <laughs> so you gotta talk. You gotta say, talk hey. to me.
0: I've got some uh, I've got some connections, but I can, I can hook you up. <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. No, and we are also not going to enforce, you know, maybe they already just bought a few months ago a brand new laptop which they want, want or can use for their work, but the budget is there and it's, it's kind of a loan, so uh, it depreciates over a few years and they can use it to, to it's up to them, you know, if they, they can buy like a chair or, or a seat or maybe use it for a few years for a co-working uh, subscription or something like that. That's that's one thing. Next to that, we let's say automatically, if you work for a company in Holland, you have like insurance for all kind of things. Well, we give like a budget to get insurance related to you know your work and things as well, and that's all on top of uh, of the salary.
0: So, so how does that work exactly with the sort of startup budget? Is it, it like you said, it's a loan? So. Let's say you hire me, right? Like, do you immediately give me $500 starting budget and then do you you send that money or they spend it and then you kind of like subtract it from their salary over the course of a year or something like that?
1: No, we send it up front and let's say if someone, um, and it depreciates over, I think two or three years, and let's say someone decides to quit earlier, then we just um, sub- subtract that from the last uh,
0: salary. Okay, that makes sense. Do you, have you ever had any issues with that? Have you ever had anybody that just like, I know you have like a very, very strenuous uh, hiring process because I remember that time, it was like two three years ago, you're looking to hire like a supply chain person in China. And I, mm-hmm. I recommended one of my friends, and he went through that process. But have you ever had a situation where you hired somebody and then like you sent them the money and then they disappeared or they just didn't work out? Like
1: no, no, we never had um, issues on that. And then again, you know, I think we're we, we hiring people, educated people, and we're giving a lot of trust, and you know, trust based trust, and if. Yeah, you know, if you are seriously looking for a job, and let's say you're going to earn thousands, fifteen hundred a month, and are you really going to to run away? You know, after all that effort, applying for a company and being the rest of your life having a bad name and no. I mean, of course, it can maybe it can happen someday, but I think our due diligence and research on people is. Is. And nowadays, actually, we hire a lot through, um, through actually through my own network. So often it's like a friend or a friend of a friend. Like, you know, it's the same, for example, you. Uh, I talked with one of your friends as well. And then I already know, you know, the chance of someone running away with that starting budget is so small. And then again, you know, maybe some, someday it will happen, but at the same time, I'm not going to to, you know, exchange by trusting people for, you know, holding back on such things.
0: Actually, maybe you can explain your hiring process, because I think a big part of it, like you said, is the due diligence that you do, and of course hiring people through your network.
1: Yeah, so, well, hiring, I... Yeah, so so what... I actually don't like it so much to hire people through... um, through a job posting because there is like a saying that people the good people they already have a job they are mm-hmm. not looking for a new job and that's of course it's not always a situation you know sometimes a, a company can go bankrupt or people are just looking for a new job but in general the best people they have jobs so i'm i'm usually just recruiting people by myself so for example when we were looking for a customer service representative um, I was thinking, hey, what if I just look on LinkedIn on customer service outsourcing companies in, in, in specific countries and just a pro- mass approach all those employees there, uh, whether they want to, to work for my company. And then again, often, so you, it's like a win-win situation because those people, they are like, they are already skilled. They know how it is to work in customer service. At the same time, probably we are going to pay them more. They have a lot more, f- I mean, well, it's like total opposite of free because they don't have to work enough. They can kind of decide on their own hours and they can work for, like, for a small company. I mean, of course, it needs to be a fit to work for a small company, but for most people, that's an advantage that they have a lot more impact. So, yeah, when let's say we reach out to 100 people on LinkedIn. Out of that like 20 people apply for the job which is is, in my opinion a great conversation conversion
0: rate. Yeah no, I mean I I think it's smart and then so do you put them through I guess a couple different rounds of interviews like what is that that process like? It
1: depends on the role and it depends on, on the person as well sometimes I you know so sometimes it's indeed like a few interviews and just, just you know, getting a feeling and, and talk of obviously always, always a video, video um, interview. And it's specifically asking why they want a the job and, you know, really looking at what they're answering there. So, for example, I already almost always skip people to say, hey, why are you applying for a job? Oh, because it's like location independence, so I can travel and work at the same time like yeah the worst for me that's the worst motivation you know it's an, it's an extra it's like a benefit it's, to me it's not the same like that you're comp- applying for a company and say oh why you want to work here yeah because you guys have free lunch or well,
0: you guys like, have uh, good,
1: yeah. good health benefits or something like that <laughs> yeah it, it, it's like to me it's not really because in the you need to like the core of the job which is can be you know it's just the role. It's, it's got to be customer service or so, something like that. That you can travel or maybe work from a different location from time to time. That's an advantage. But actually, the um, people that work at the company, they are most of them are all on one fixed location. And we did had a few hires of people where we made that actual mistake and it was like people that went on like full travel mode and were surprised that they. You know, could not work from random hostels somewhere in the desert of Morocco.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, yeah, there's this a misconception with the whole location independent thing where it's like, I could just be on vacation mode and working. It's like, well, no, because you still need to make sure that you are hitting certain deadlines. Uh, you still need to make sure that you have a decent internet connection and things like that. Like, it's an actual, you know, It's a proper job. It's just you can be in different places but you have to consistency, right?
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, you know, the whole rise of digital nomadism and I I think there things are changing a bit, but how it's being solved the past few years that you can work and travel at the same time, You, you can work from new location every week or even whatever every day and you can work from the beach and after work you can go surfing and you can see waterfalls on Bali and do and party and all at the same time. No, you can. not You If you want to be productive you you cannot do this all at once and if you're switching locations every few weeks you're going to end up, if you're going to do that for a few years you'll end up depressed because you, you have no social social network anymore, you know, it is like you, you might have friends all over the place, but I think in the end, there are only a very few people that are suitable for this kind of... Lifestyle. No yeah. ...nomadism. It, it, it's being sold as, like, living the dream. Yeah, I is, mean,
0: I realized, I was cool. like, you know, I moved out to China to be location-independent and run a location-independent business, and technically... I am at that stage, but I also realize the kind of person that I am is I do value building a community. Like if I left China earlier, maybe I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have met a lot of my my, my good friends and stuff like that. Um, But at the same time, yeah, I do. If I I want to, I can travel. Um, I can work independently, but I understand that to be productive and to actually build, like you said, a community, um, a social network. You do have to spend an extended period of time in one a, a, a place
1: yeah, and at the same time, I think it's for, for everybody it takes time to get a, get used to a new environment of course, if you're like backpacking, you don't care you know you, you just crash in a hostel and you, you eat what's there. but if you want to live a healthy life with a routine that you can be productive for me if I that's why I, if I go to let's say a new and I want to be productive and I want to work. I want to be there at least a month because it takes me around a week to get adjusted to that environment, you know? Just like all those basics, getting used to a new house, um, which are always some small things that you, you know, get used to, and getting healthy food, uh, a gym, all those basic things you you gotta find out. And some people say, oh, it just takes me one or two days. True. And but I also never say, oh, wow, that takes, you do that in one week. It takes me a month to get a proper routine in place. So, yeah. And that nowadays I might make pretty conscious decisions when I go somewhere. I'm like, okay, what's the reason of being here? Is this kind of holiday mode where I just don't care so much about routines and don't care about being productive? I just, let's say, check in once a day, an hour or something. And you know, answer a few emails, like new projects, i put them on hold, just very necessary things. Or am I like on a place that I want to actually be get work done and just like work more or less 40 hours a week and then just during the weekends do, uh, do fun stuff and, and so
0: on. So at this stage, you said you, you have no need for an office in the Netherlands and stuff like that. So like, eg- like exactly right now, do you have like a couple employees in the Netherlands that work in the same space, or is everybody just kind of working from their own locations?
1: No, it's all location independent. Everybody works from their, their own location, and it's up to, to them whether they want to work from home or from a co-working or anything, uh, anything like that. We actively do tell people that, hey, don't work always from home, because that might get get pretty pretty lonely. And that's another thing, you know, not everybody is... That's another thing where we pay a lot of attention on in hiring. Not everybody is suitable for working location independent. So let's say if you, you know, if if a lot of your social network and your environment depends on where you work or what you do... um, then you shouldn't get like a location independent job but you will be always more or less working alone of course you can sit in a co-working space but they are not like your, your your colleagues or your your co-workers so we we specifically look at people that have like that are okay with being on their own and have like a high intrinsic uh, motivation because there is also not like someone around you that is you know like has a physical presence that can motivate you yeah. when you're you know, Have a shitty
0: Monday. I think uh, some people that might be listening to this right now, and even just a question that popped into my brain is, okay, so if I have a completely remote team, how do I keep people's productivity levels up? How do I keep them motivated? Because there's that aspect of when you're the boss or you're the manager of the company and you have people in the office, you walk into the office or you're there every day and just your presence really keeps people at a certain level of productivity. I noticed this with my team in the past, was when I left the office for an extended period of time, productivity levels went down. Um, It's less so now.
1: Yeah, but but I think that's a really interesting thing what you're saying, that productivity levels went down when you got out of the office. And wasn't it because they, were used to, you know, having you around from the office. And I think it is in almost all companies that are not location independent that there is a kind of feeling when, let's say, the boss is around or the manager, he's around, so we got to work. And once that kind of, once he is not there, you know, those prying eyes are not there and you're not there like with the physical presence. And I have a few friends of mine, they, they were kind of, changing their company towards a location independent structure and they had the same experience there
0: so I found uh, I think there's I think there's a couple of different things I agree with you I think yes people are used to it and it's that kind of thing and oh, my parents aren't here so you know I can invite my friends over and <laughs> I'm not gonna make mm-hmm. my bed or you know what I mean just like little things like that um, but I also found that over time because I've, I've tested it out right like i did like a week two weeks a month um i found that over time as they have gotten used to it, even having one of my main employees who still who's basically the, the the project manager and the manager in the office um, it's gotten better like and also we've hired people now where from the beginning they they've been location independent so Then it's just about setting targets for the day, for the week, and then seeing if they execute on those targets. Like, I don't really care what time they do it, as long as they get it done within the time Mm -hmm.
1: frame. Yeah, and so I I actually don't... I'm I'm not the kind of manager or kind of person that sees that that I'm the one to keep people productive. It needs to come, like I said, I hire people with a high intrinsic motivation, so they need to be motivated to get a job they need to be I don't like the word you know they need to be passionate about a job because I mean in the end it's still a job you know we're entrepreneurs we can be passionate about our company but being so passionate about a job but at the same time they need to like the work they need to be very happy because I believe that when people are happy with their job they're productive and then they achieve actual things and that's that works really really well for me and um, i rather find, if let's say things are slacking, I'd rather find out what, what the reason is for it. Maybe, you know, people don't like their work or people are overloaded, and I'd rather find solutions for that. And, like, uh, yeah, productivity, it needs to come from the people self, I think.
0: That makes sense. Um, yeah, and, like, and like, I think one thing that I'm taking from this is, having that initial conversation early on I think it's harder to transition from a non-location independent situation to a location independent situation um, yeah, I, mean, I, I I just you know I really like the, the business model I was just thinking about what other people would be thinking as well um, so obviously like we touched on at the beginning of the podcast like you joined DC why did you join DC in the first place because at that stage and I remember this, like, you were pretty, in comparison to a lot of the people that joined the community, you were pretty advanced in your business.
1: Oh, well, to be very honest, um, it is... Um, I think Mike, Michael Michelin, is a, a good friend of mine, he kind of sold me on it. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, you do a lot of things in China and you have a lot of knowledge, you should join the community. I was like, yeah. And of course, the community changed now. Right? There's not more like targeted to people that want to start their manufacturing business. So back in those days, I was like, "Yeah, okay, you know, I'll join." But it's for me, it's not so much. I like sharing, you know, knowledge and learning from people. It's Not so much that I have a specific project that I want to get off the off the ground or something.
0: Yeah. So it was. So, yeah, it was more yeah, it's just like, like I find it being different. being part of a. A community with a similar mindset yeah doing similar things exactly sharing experiences. yeah and uh i remember meeting you at the cross border summit and then i was like oh you know gerard is uh he's a he's a fun guy like i you were like you were i guess making fun of me because i was like i was being super serious i was like i need to get back to office i can't i can't stay and party with you guys
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i know it's been a while though.
1: It was like one of the first global from Asia. Content. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's changed. I think at that stage we were like in completely different places. Like I was in oh, yeah. really straight up hustle mode and it was like, if I don't get back to the office tomorrow, like, you know, there's going to be X, Y and Z fires that I have to put out. Mm-hmm. But um, now it's a little bit different. Like if you were to come down, I could definitely, I could definitely have a night out, you know? Uh, that's good to know, Rico. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, waiting, <laughs> I'm waiting for you to come back to China or or we can meet in the Philippines. Uh,
1: yeah, I've never been to the Philippines. I'm still curious oh, about you the Philippines.
0: I love it. Like if you like Thailand, you're going to love the Philippines. And I, I'll show you around.
1: Well, those are some very tempting um, invitations, uh, Rico. Yeah. Uh
0: so what was your what would you say is your biggest success in business so far?
1: My biggest success in business, um, well, and maybe I, you know, from, I think most, like, mind-changing was, I think the iPhone damage, you know, that, I think more people say that, you know, that realization, your very first order online, and... That's it, just magically because you're thinking ah, that not gonna, Especially ten years ago. I mean, nowadays people are pretty. Uh, are more easy to buy things online, but though, back in those days there was a lot. Of people were a lot more skeptic, and especially you had to wait four weeks to get it delivered. And well, I'm not sure whether I actually said it was shipped from China. But getting that first order, that kind of changed changed my life. And I also had like my, my environment, people around me, you know, they were like, oh, iPhone dummies, you're crazy, you know, don't get like a normal side job or you really think that's going to sell. And from there, <laughs> I had a few, you know, a few friends and family that I from time to time show projects. And the more they are like outrageous, that it's like so stupid, I'm more motivated to bring it to market. And it, it kind of became a measure, measuring point of like, hey, More people say it's going to work. I'm more. I'm inclined to make it work.
0: Hmm. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to jump into the closing questions, which is a little bit more, I guess, personal. Um, What are your plans for the next three to five years? I don't have plans. I mean, I'm already.
1: I'm already surprised that I have plans for the rest of the year. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the rest of the year, I'm, I'm setting up a new home base uh, in the Netherlands. And once that's kind of done, summer will be over. I'm heading off to Asia for uh, more or less the winter again. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of transitioning my business from... Um, having our own brands and products and inventory to offering supply chain services. The same time, I I probably will always do like new, if I have like a creative marketing idea, such as with the iPhone, then I will bring it to market. Um, I started um, a new business with with a co-founder and that's actually a really interesting Thing and I've I've always been looking for well not so much like actively looking to start. A, I was always curious what it how things would go if I started a business with a co-founder, but I never met someone let's say with a complementary skill set skill set. And it was also as crazy as me to believe that let's say for example iPhone dummies would sell. So that's a great thing, and I might want to double down on partnerships in the future. Because I really see things can take off really, really big if you have like pure with with two and have complementary skill sets. So and at the same time, I'm looking at some. I have some ideas for productized services. So I feel for me the future lies more in um, services, productized services, and less in doing like traditional trade. What I've been doing more or less the past ten years.
0: Cool. What is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your life or business?
1: <laughs> I think it's a cliche, but I think it's reading the four hour work week.
0: <laughs> Listen, I'm a, I consider myself a four hour work week baby, so for sure I, I definitely agree yeah, with Yeah,
1: it's the same, you know. And actually, the funny thing is that I was already working with freelancers in India and, and things like that. And for me, the book, The Four Hour Work Week, was like, and I always found, found myself like the odd one, I, you know, it's weird, you know, getting, hiring freelancers, why not, you know, run a regular company, mm. but then I was like, okay, this is actually a thing, and this is just how I want to run my business the rest of my life, and this is something, and then still, yeah, I mean, when people say, oh, where should I start, or what should I, think I all it's like, oh, you know. Read the four-hour work week and see how whether that fits your your lives. That's something. It's it's like the the whole mindset of the four-hour work week that's still that's still very there.
0: I I keep I joke with my buddies. I'm like you know this four-hour work week is gonna become like a bible or a religion in the future. I tell you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the amount of people that I know that are all saying the same. It's like. Out of this world, and still these days I meet new people and say, "Oh, I read the four-hour work." Have you read the four-hour work week? It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ten years ago. Now less, less. It's not that old. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: So, it's, so the four-hour work week for you was more like validation. It was more like you, you'd already started yeah. doing things like that. But that that still makes me question. Like, okay, so how, what even? What even made you think I could go and find a freelancer like you know like because for me when I read the forward, the idea of finding somebody in another country was just like it was the first time I heard of that concept you know so I'm just like curious like where did you
1: yeah I don't know I think've I've always been very fascinated about travel and international trade and things. It was actually my master's was about international entrepreneurship and yeah, that you and together. I've been fascinated about the internet since the very early, early days as well. And I think I'm just combining internet, international trade, and and I like I like learning from new cultures. You know, some people find it really difficult to, to go to China to deal with a different culture. I mean, I enjoy it. You know, going to a KTV with supplier. I mean, I, I love doing. It. If I haven't done it for more than half a year I, I, I just miss it
0: and then the final question is what are three books podcasts blogs vlogs that you'd recommend people read watch listen to to get to understand you better <laughs> Obviously, before, <laughs> well
1: I already one? mentioned one yeah. <laughs> obviously uh, second one would be Tropical MBA podcast and yeah can I mention the Tim Ferriss <laughs> podcast as well <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's three, man. All right, man. It's awesome, man. I'm not gonna take too much of your time. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast, man. Like, um, and also if people want to reach out to you or check out your businesses, uh, where should they where should they go?
1: They can email me at uh, Gerard at Um, that should find me well. Or um, they can look me up on Facebook, I think.
0: Cool. And we will we will link up uh, Gerard's information on the on the website as well in the show notes and yeah guys if you want to reach out to us that's podcast at if you want to check out the show notes that's sourcefindasia.com slash made in china and if you want to check out the youtube channel that's source findasia all one word Cheers. keep I just want stay under the covers with now I know that you want
1: me, you indicated, it's obvious I need to just make a decision about what I'm gonna say, tell me what I gotta say, tell me what I gotta say to take you away with me, 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 to take you away with me.